Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you on this Thursday, December the 3rd of 2020. We are so grateful to have you tuning in with us, and we welcome you to this podcast. Uh, Praying that if you have been with us this whole week, it's been a blessing as it has been to us, the study of God's word. And we have been in a beautiful, tremendous uh, topic. Well, not a topic. I hate to call these things topics, but really it's it's the message of the hour, the coming of the Lord, amen, and the things that are that are happening and that are taking place, not just in these last days, but in the end of time. And we are asking the Lord to continue to give us the clarity that is needed in such an hour to decipher, to discern what God is saying in this hour. So we are excited to have you with us. And as always, know that we pray for you, that we love you, and uh, we we really appreciate the fellowship and the time that you take uh, to be with us in our study. We're going to get quickly into the Word of God today, today in our panel. We have Brother Marty and Brother Fernando joining us. And as always, it is a honor to study the Word of God together. So, Brother Marty, as we continue in our journey today, um, we're going to leave it to you to share what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Yes, praise the Lord. It's good to be back again today. And we're looking forward to our study as we continue to go deeper into end-time events and explore many uh, of the subjects that so many people have questions about, as Brother Jeremy said, uh, more than just subjects, though, we believe that God is opening up the scriptures in ways in our days and times that were foretold by the prophets of old. You know, when you explore end time events, when you uh, begin the study of Bible prophecy and and all the uh, things that you can learn and 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 try to 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 explore and find out and, and grow in, uh, you begin to to realize that. Uh, as you pursue different avenues, let's say you go to commentaries or, you know, books or whatever people have written. <laughs> in my case, my experience has been that I like to hear what the fathers of the church said from the beginning and, and then down through time. And, and what I began to find out in my studies was that uh, as you get into the, you know, the, the, the 1700s, the 1800s, and then the early 1900s, hundreds <laughs> and you read the commentaries of, of of the men who wrote um you you really come across uh, interesting points uh of admission by them that they could only see in part uh they where they would speculate about as to what they thought was coming in the future and then as you got into the you know the 1700s uh, and then into the 1800s it began to open up a little bit more but yet was veiled and then as you got into the early 1900s the 20th century suddenly things began to to change i have books in my library written in the early 1900s uh around 1907 1908 and there where uh they were all excited um because they began to see that world events were were moving uh in a direction that appeared to be uh, fulfilling particular things that had been revealed uh, in the writings of the prophets and the holy apostles. 
one of the most important ones that began to be a sign and a trigger to the early uh, church of the 20th century were, was the movement of, of the Jewish people uh, after 2,000 years of being scattered in all four directions and four corners of the earth, a movement began to happen where uh, they were beginning to, to congregate again. And then it, it seemed that politically speaking, uh, pathways were being laid uh, and foundations laid uh, for a return of the Jewish people back to their original homeland, which triggered uh, the, the, the fathers of the early 20th century uh, in, in their hearts, for they knew the scriptures that talked about that being one of the most predominant signs that a generation had reached that point where the prophetic time clock, for lack of a better way to say it, would begin to click and tick in earnest that would ultimately culminate with the return of the Lord. And so when, for instance, the Balfour Declaration was signed in 1917, I have some books in my library, where that set off amongst the early church of the 20th century, and especially within the schools of those who were students of the Word of God, uh, highly respected men, uh, began to write and, and uh, postulate uh, that we had entered the final days. And, and so my point of saying all that is that with each successive decade from that point, more and more, of, of prophecy began to be fulfilled. And yet, as we entered into the 20th century uh, and then culminated, uh, you know, entering into our time frame where we're talking now in the 21st century, all along the way, more light was being given. Many signs were being uh, unfurled, so to speak, uh, for the discerning, the student of the word, if you will, led by the Holy Spirit. We began to really understand uh, that that these were different times. We may not have been able to put our finger on complete understanding in certain areas, and many areas remained gray. But what now is beginning to happen, and what is really interesting to me, is that for the first time, Brother Jeremy and I were talking about this before we started our podcast today, uh, it, it, it's almost as if we're going into the scriptures now, and it seems so obvious what we're looking at. Because the times that we find ourselves in, right now are are so strikingly similar to what the scripture said would happen that we have not only the experience of the last several decades under our belt to draw from uh but also the word of god itself uh being able with that experience to open our eyes to the fact that it is quite possible and and i can almost say with a certainty that 2020 it has become a trigger point uh, that has accelerated the, the world forward into probably the most unique prophetic times that I have seen in my lifetime, and I know my brothers as well, and many of you out there who study these things, um, that, that seem to be alerting us that we have indeed uh, entered into a new and quickening phase of what the Scripture said would happen primarily the thing that is alerting us to that fact is back in, what was it, 2018, I think it was, yes, 2018, Jerusalem became the capital of Israel, declared to be so by the United States of America, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth, which is how God does things, right? I mean, he, he's very symbolically uh, communicative to us, but, 
But when Israel took over uh, Jerusalem as, as its capital, um, it was it was a it was another huge sign to us. So then, two years later, we and less than two years really from that point, we cross into 2020, and the whole world goes into an uproar, and everything has changed. And here we are in December of 2020, and nothing is settled around the planet. As we talked about before, we can sense almost like a growing shadow beginning to cover the planet. And there is an unease amongst the, the, the citizens of the world, if you will. But particularly within the body of Christ, two things are beginning to be made plainly clear. One, there is a church that, that the Father knows and can be identified only by the Holy Spirit and the fellowship of believers that's being drawn together as a work of the Spirit in these times. And there's another aspect to the religious establishment and those who only have a surfacey religious experience. They find themselves in complete, uh, you know, almost like a blind man groping for the wall is how Isaiah said it. So there's two camps that are beginning to emerge. And within the confines of that, those that have been students of, uh, or at least attempted to become students of the Word of God are beginning to see that what makes our time unique is that it's global in nature. And it is exactly what the scriptures predicted would, would come to pass. And so we have been exploring this week that mode of, of thinking as we believe we are being humbly, we say it so, led by the Holy Spirit to begin to examine these things and see uh, what the Spirit says is, is occurring, what has led up to it, what is occurring, and what is just ahead of us. Yesterday, we touched on one of the most sacred cows <laughs> in the Pentecostal evangelical community, charismatic community, denominational world, which was the pre-tribulation rapture. And while we didn't even come close to exposing, uh, you know, all the areas of Scripture we could have uh, exposed or actually brought forth to expose the fallacy of that kind of thinking, we pray we laid out enough uh, where it would motivate our, our brothers and sisters out there that are fellowshipping with us through these podcasts to go and explore the Scriptures and see if these things be so. And so with that in mind, we're going to take it to the next level today. Because the Apostle Paul in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, and this will be our, our launching scripture today, we're really going to spend our whole study uh, primarily in Isaiah chapter 10. But I want Brother Jeremy to begin by reading to us Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 to 3 as our foundational scripture, because we're really going to deal with this one they call the man of sin, the son of perdition as well as, as the falling away of the church. And, and we're going to look at some things today that I think will, will excite uh, your, your, uh, your hearts and, and, and hopefully inspire us all to know uh, just how close we really are by the Word of God. So, Brother Jeremy, if you would please read that to us as we begin uh, the balance of our study today. And we pray that you listening uh, out there would, would, would be blessed this day and in the days ahead in Jesus' name. Brother Jeremy. Amen. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled 
neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Amen. That day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. As we talked about yesterday, there's a there's a there's a you know an intense debate that takes place in these you know highfalutin theological circles between the, what they call the pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. They always label stuff, but but we were we've been looking at this pre-trib uh theory uh that has taught the church that it would not see any tribulation um it was going to be you know rescued that's the that's the rapture they call it uh pre-tribulation rapture uh off the face of the earth seven years they would be in heaven having uh, the marriage supper of the lamb while all hell breaks loose down on the planet at the end of seven years we return and they call that the second coming of the lord but see, Paul clarifies that, that that type of thinking is in error because as we explored yesterday, we encourage you to, to, to listen to the programs this week if, if you feel so inclined uh, to, to lay the groundwork as, as we pick it up from here today. As we saw yesterday in verse 1, he says that he identifies the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with what he says in verse 2, which is the day of Christ, because that's what they were worried about in the early church. They were actually being already infected by, um, you know, incorrect interpretation of the teachings of the apostles and the prophets uh, concerning uh, the day of the Lord. And Paul begins to set out in chapter 2 an incredible revelation of, of what would be ahead. And he wanted them to know, that is the Thessalonican church, that they were the initial part of the early church that would be a reflective example, as Brother Fernando's been talking about, of what the in-time church would see. But as it pertained to them, he wanted them to understand the unfolding, um, you know, history that would take place leading up to the coming of the Lord. So the first thing he tells them is, I'm talking to you about his second coming, and then the next thing he says in verse 1, and our gathering together unto him. And as we pointed out yesterday, he could have reversed the order. Because in Athens, that is what a pre-tribulation rapture teaches, that the order is reversed. That there's a gathering together unto him first, and then his second coming. And they, they talked about how, they talk about how that we're going to be secretly taken away. Uh, that he's going to come and take us in secret and take us back to heaven. We're going to go have this marriage supper of the Lamb. We will have a marriage supper of the Lamb, but this is how they teach it, for seven years. And then we come back visibly with the Lord. And uh, and that's not how Paul said it. He first talks about the Lord's coming, and the Lord's coming he calls the day of Christ. Therefore, the day of Christ and the Lord's coming then produces our gathering up into the air to meet the Lord in the air with, with, with those who have been re resurrected from the dead, and we shall forever be with him. So then he tries to clarify that teaching. 
and, and he accelerates them into the far-flung future because he says in verse 3, do not let any man uh, deceive you. And we talked about it at length again yesterday in Matthew uh, chapter 24, that this is precisely what Paul is doing, is repeating the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, who told us, which is very interestingly so, which we looked at yesterday, that, <clears throat> that just prior to the coming of the Lord, what would actually happen is that many would begin to arise with all kinds of doctrines and ideas about his second coming. But Paul, you know, really doubles down with this information here and, and gets very pointed. It's not something that's left open to interpretation. And this is what he wanted the Thessalonians to understand. First of all, he cautions them like the Lord cautioned us in Matthew 24, don't let anyone deceive you. Concerning what? Concerning the coming of the Lord, the day of Christ, and our gathering together unto him. Don't let anyone deceive you about that. And then he goes on and says, something has to happen first. And what he says has to happen is striking. And it's, it's tragic, but it's revealed. He says, there must come a falling away first. So right off the bat, he was revealing to the early church, you're not that church. You know, you're that church that's on fire for God. You're, you're suffering tribulation and persecution. You're enduring the, the ridicule of your, of your fellow citizens and the hatred of the Jews who don't accept Christ. And you're up under a Roman government system that's enslaved the entire world. These are hard times. You know, and they're not falling away. They're on fire for God, and, and, and they're creating churches and evangelizing the known world of the day. So he's telling them, you're not that church. He says, in the far future, this church, which it must have been astounding for them to even hear it or consider it, but it's being revealed by the Spirit here that, that there would be a church in the future, in many senses, that would grow into an apex of a prosperous-type church. And it would fall away. And that word falling away literally means uh, to, to fall away from established church teaching or doctrine. In other words, huge compromise would come in so that it no longer would resemble the church of the early uh, you know, days of the book of Acts, so to speak. So what he wanted to identify there was this. He says, look, there's going to come a falling away first. And it's that decline in orthodoxy, in on fire for godness, so to speak, in fidelity to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a decline of that intensity of the believer that will ultimately give way to a complete falling away. And so what you will be left with is a shell of uh, or a semblance of what should be Christianity, but like, like the Lord told the Pharisees of his day, you're like whited sepulchers. You're all clean and white and shiny on the outside. He says, but within, right? You're full of dead men's bones and all sorts of corruption. That's what Paul's talking about here. He says, it's that decline over time that would set the stage, or if you will, make the way for the appearance of one. And he's called the man of sin, the son of perdition. Now, that one we know is, is the one that we call the Antichrist. 
and in seeking the Lord today, we we are very, very aware of so many different places within the scripture that we could go from here. But I think that it's incredibly important, and this is the direction we were led in this morning, is to begin to explore not only the New Testament uh, revelations of this man of sin and the falling away of the church, but also uh, we have to understand <laughs> that none of these things that were revealed in the New Testament from Paul's writings to to the great apostle John's writings in the book of Revelation, or St. Peter's writings, Apostle Peter's writings in First and Second Peter, or Jude, you know, every single one of them, James, they all had an element of what they revealed concerning the return of the Lord. So it's not, it's not just uh, what they revealed to us in the New Testament. We have to understand that where they got that information from, they got it from the Holy Spirit as he unlocked the prophets to them. Isaiah, Hosea, Amos, Habakkuk, Haggai, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Obadiah, go down the list, Malachi, <laughs> you know, you just go down the list. And, and and that's where they got their information from. And and now that Christ had come and the Holy Spirit had come, suddenly when they searched the scriptures, the Holy Spirit began to unveil to them exactly what they began to write about in the New Testament and bring into full light what had been concealed in the prophets. I think Brother Fernando read a scripture yesterday out of, where was it, Brother Fernando? In the, was it Second Peter or First Peter where you talked about the day star arising in your heart? <clears throat> yeah, it was uh, Second Peter. Yeah, where he said what? He said, uh, he said that, that all scripture was given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that it wasn't a private interpretation, right? It wasn't something they made up or you know that that it was actually the spirit that had given them this light and and that so they're they're basically identifying what we've learned what we're talking about everything that has to do with the end of time uh, was was already concealed in in the prophets of old and was only made uh light to them as you talked like light that shines in the dark places how peter described it right um yeah. do you have that can you read that to us yeah, it says Second uh, Peter one nineteen. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Praise God. No, that's really good. So that's that's what Peter's revealing to us there. It is it, just is just that 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 in essence what he was saying was that just as they received what they received, um, we are receiving uh, by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that's making um, you know sense to us of what they wrote, and He attributes everything to the Spirit. So. It's with that in mind that we need to understand there there are several places that we want to go in the scripture over the next couple of days, but uh, and, and maybe days ahead if the Lord allows us to, because it's such a vast subject, and to 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 simply you know confine it to a you know a, a, a sixty minute podcast and that's it would would do it an injustice. So we're gonna begin 
uh, looking in a very methodical way at some of the most fascinating things that are now being brought to light and can be understood under the lens of our times, which is which is an indication to us, at least uh, a good uh, marker for us uh, to begin to reflect in a very deep manner, have we entered these days and does it seem to be applying? I think the answer will, as we continue to go through these things, be an unequivocal Absolutely, yes. And so it's with that in mind, we're going to take a journey today very quickly. We won't be very long. We've already gone pretty long here just in talking about this stuff, but I want to, I want to get down into this. And, it's in, and we're going to start today from, from the book of, of the prophet Isaiah. And we're going to show something. We're talking about this man of sin, this, this, uh, this son of perdition as he's described. So let's first start with Isaiah chapter 10. And we'll begin there. Brother Jeremy, are you there by any chance? I am. I am. <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a look there at, uh, if you could read to us, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 1 through 3, and we'll begin our discussion in earnest. Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees, and that write grievousness which they have prescribed to turn aside the needy from judgment and to take away the right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the fatherless. And what will ye do in the day of visitation and in the desolation which shall come from far? To whom will ye flee for help and where? Will you leave your glory? And now may you may you read uh, verse five. O Assyrian, the rod of my anger and the staff in their hand is my indignation. Amen. O Assyrian. Now, as we get into this, we're going to see some incredible things of what the Lord is revealing here. For those of you who aren't familiar with this. Uh, the Assyrian, uh, as identified here in Isaiah chapter uh, 10, verse 5, is uh, another name or a label uh, that is attached to, to that end-time uh, man of sin, the son of perdition. He's known as the Assyrian. He is the Antichrist. Now, when you read parts of Isaiah 10, what Isaiah is actually describing is Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, that came down into uh, Jerusalem and came against, uh, basically uh, came against uh, Hezekiah. Uh, later on in Isaiah, he talks about that. But you have to understand how the prophet spoke, which is what Brother Fernando read. He talked about them being moved and, and being inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak. So again, as we've talked about, it was Isaiah in Isaiah 46.10 that gave us the principle of biblical interpretation when speaking by the Holy Spirit, he talked about that he declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet accomplished. So when we take that, uh, uh, the end from the beginning lens and apply it to scriptures, we have incredible insight given to us as to what we'll see at the end of time. So while the historical narrative is true, so also is the inspiration of the Spirit as it pertains to the prophetic. We know in Revelation 19, verse 10, for example, 
that the spirit uh, or the testimony of Jesus is what? The spirit of prophecy. You can find that in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. So when we study the prophets, then we have to look for prophecy as it pertains to the Lord, because it is his testimony. And so what we're going to see today is some very fascinating things. For those of you who aren't familiar with the book of Revelation, it, it lays out, especially in Revelation chapter 12, 17, and then through Revelation 13, a very comprehensive, systematic unfolding of how the world itself will come into an ultimate domination of, of the dragon, the beast, and ultimately the Antichrist himself and the false prophet. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with any of those terms, it's okay. It's not going to hinder in what we're teaching today, but we encourage you to go on and look because, you know, what was given to the prophet Isaiah is incredible revelation. I mean, he's the prophet who had, you know, the suffering Lord Jesus revealed to him in Isaiah 53. Uh, and and, and he, he actually, in his prophecies, uh, reveals things uh, from his time, the coming of the Lord, the resurrection, the scattering of Israel, the regathering of Israel, all the way to the end of the thousand years of peace that's predicted in the book of Revelation, the millennium, even till the melting away of the universe and then the new creation of God. All of this was given to the prophet, but for the purposes of our study today, we're going to be looking at this Assyrian, the Antichrist, is revealed right here and how he will come on the scene, what he will do and how it will end. We believe we've reached those days and we're going to gain some information. So let's look today at what the Lord revealed to his holy prophet concerning the end time. The revelation of the Antichrist, the Lord calls him the Assyrian. The first thing is verse 1. Read verse 1 to us again, Brother Jeremy, would you? Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees and that right grievousness which they have prescribed. For those of you who understand what the Apostle John revealed in the book of Revelation, he talks about uh, a time frame where the, the stage has to be set in advance of the, the appearance of the Antichrist himself. And, and this is why when you enter into chapter 10 of Isaiah, what you're actually seeing is that information being given to us about how the way is set for in Isaiah's chapter, he calls him the Assyrian. In the book of Revelation, he's known as the beast. He's known as the Antichrist to, to the Apostle John. So the first thing that's being revealed here is what would happen. Uh, the declaration is being made by the prophet against that future uh, cabal, if you will, of, 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 of the unrighteous ones. Uh, and what he says will begin the process of bringing about the Assyrian or the Antichrist, so to speak. He first uh, warns them and uses the language of the book of Revelation in that he says, whoa, which is a, a heavy term because what they're about to do is going to ultimately culminate with the return of the Lord to execute judgment and vengeance upon all the ungodly and pour out his wrath on a wicked and rebellious world and their king, the devil himself. But notice what he reveals to us. First he says uh, that they will decree unrighteous decrees and that they 
right grievousness which they have prescribed. So he's talking about a, a cabal, if you will. He's talking about a global elite. And we'll see this in a second, and I'll, I'll prove that to you. But what their motivation is, is verse 2. This is this is what they're they're after. Can you read verse 2 again to us, Brother Jeremy? To turn aside the needy from judgment and to take away the right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the fatherless. So everything that we see here is is a stripping away. The first thing he he uh, he begins to reveal is what they're moving to do is re- is to remove uh, the rights of of the <laughs> of humanity really. I mean, but he he turns our attention to really which is ninety five percent of the world the needy that no one will be holding you know forth for their cause to take away the right uh, from the poor of my people the widows uh, will become their prey and they rob. The fatherless. All of this is designed to to uh, to create within us an understanding of what this global system is all about. It, it's designed to enslave the world. And when you actually break down verse two, what you're witnessing is this precedes the Antichrist. It's a it's a it's a decline within humanity itself, led by those who decree unrighteous decrees. This is something that is taking place behind the scenes. And when it finally springs forth, Isaiah is revealing, it will be to take away and strip away the rights of the people of the world. But particularly, it's designed to go after the poor of my people, so to speak, God's people, God's uh, church. That's what's being had here. Now, remember, and I'm going to slow down here a little bit, I want you to see something in, in, the, in the book of the prophet Daniel so that you get a better idea of what we're trying to say here. In Daniel chapter 3, can you turn over there, Brother Jeremy? Yes, I'm there. In Daniel chapter 3, we have uh, we have an account of, of a figure of the Antichrist that would come in the future. His name is Nebuchadnezzar the king. And and he, he does something in verse 1 and 2 there that we can talk about here. Can you Can you read verse 1 and 2 to us? Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So what we see here is basically what Isaiah was talking about. He was talking about a cabal, if you will, a ruling elite that would begin to issue unrighteous decrees before they spring it on the rest of the world. Here in Daniel chapter 3, we see the same kind of a thing taking place. Notice uh, these these uh, these historical accounts really uh, are, are great foreshadows of what the Book of Revelation will, reveals will happen in the end time. We have an image, we have uh, uh, three sixes represented here in the three score cubits and six cubits. That's sixty and six. 
and then there's six specific instruments that will be played requiring everyone uh, under the number 666 to fall down and worship this image. But notice what Nebuchadnezzar does before he springs it on the nations of the world, his desire for everyone to worship this image. He calls together in verse 2 the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and the rulers of the province. And then begins to reveal to them what he intends to do. So what the Bible is revealing to us there is that prior to the advent and the ultimate expression of this Assyrian or this man of sin, son of perdition, antichrist, call him what you will, son of the devil, that there will be a working behind the scenes that sets the stage for him. And it's interesting what Nebuchadnezzar did because we have an insight as it was recorded by the prophet Daniel here as to how it works. He first calls all the rulers, right? The, the governors, the princes, in other words, the people that are in charge of implementing control over the general population first are brought into a, agreement. Then it's sprung on the rest of the people. That's what we see in verse 4. Brother Jeremy, can you read verse 4? Yes. Then, and, then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages. Yes, and he goes on to tell him, it's commanded to you people, you're going to have to fall down and worship this image. But before the people and the nations and, and all the tongues of the world were commanded to worship this image, first there was a meeting behind the scenes with all these power brokers, from the, from the princes to the governors to the captains on down to the sheriffs and the rulers, um, in every facet, every strata of of of, uh, of the levers that 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 run society, uh, the power brokers, the governors, the mayors, the city council people, they were all in cahoots with this. Once they came up under the the, the plan of this foreshadow of the Antichrist, when it was set in place, then they brought it forward into the general public. It is an insight given to us in the in the prophets of old of what we actually see happening right now for those of you who have eyes to see but let's go back to isaiah now isaiah chapter 10 because once this thing has been laid and this is what isaiah was revealing thousands of years before it's happened he then says now this the stage is set and then god begins to address this one known as the assyrian can you read to us brother jeremy verse 5 and 6 oh assyrian the rod of my anger and the staff in their hand is my indignation. I will send him against a hypocritical nation and against the people of my wrath. Will I give him a charge to take the spoil and to take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the streets or the myrrh of the streets? That's right. Now, one of the things that we need to understand, because many people, you know, who ever study these things, they ask those questions. Why would God allow uh, an Antichrist to even be made manifest? Well, here we have an insight given to us by the, by the prophet. Understand that the coming of the Antichrist, the revealing of a global government, the enslavement of the world are the precursors to the ultimate judgment of God. The, the, the rise of the Antichrist <laughs> is not intended to be a judgment 
upon the church that is the true church of Jesus Christ, we will be affected by it, but only for a season. The ultimate rise of the Antichrist is a judgment of God upon the wicked world itself. And he, he, he reveals that when he calls him the Assyrian, which is another name for the Antichrist, he calls him what? Read verse 5 again to us, Brother Jeremy. O Assyrian, the rod of my anger and the staff in their hand is my indignation. So God identifies this Antichrist figure, the Assyrian. He calls him the rod of God's anger. And in in the latter half of that verse, he says that the staff in their hand is my indignation. So he's identifying him as as a tool in the hand of God. Even though he thinks he's in control, that is the Antichrist, he's actually, of course, being allowed to do what he's doing based on the anger and indignation of Almighty God. Now, stay with me now. Understand, we, we, laid, we laid the foundation before that before he makes his appearance, and it's how Isaiah writes it, there is a behind-the-scene deal taking place by a cabal, if you will, which is a word a lot of people are using today. And he framed it under the words unrighteous decrees and, and prescribed grievousness. These are laws. These are frameworks that he talked about that ultimately would enslave the needy, the poor, the, the fatherless, the widow, the most vulnerable of society, as well as the rest of the world. Once that framework is in place, he goes on and then introduces the next phase of this ultimate thing that is, that is coming by allowing one individual to be identified, the Assyrian. This is what Paul called that wicked one, that man of sin, that son of perdition. But notice God, how God describes him. He describes him as a rod and, and, and a staff. Now, let's, let's break this down so we get some understanding. First and foremost, he's called the rod of my anger. He's my indignation. So what, what is being revealed here is that he's completely and totally under the control of the Lord. Understand that. But when he talks about the rod of my anger, understand what a rod would mean to those who were hearing Isaiah. A rod is, is a corrective stick. It was a stick, really, <laughs> like a staff, so to speak, but we call it like another, another stick. Uh, uh, I don't know what you call it, but, but it was used to, to whip and to beat. It's when you execute judgment. So what he's revealing is that the Assyrian is actually the judgment of God that's coming, the rod. But then he also identifies something very interesting there. He says, he, uh, and the staff in their hand. Now he's identifying a different group. And when he speaks of the staff, uh, of course, those who are listening to the prophet, which were the people of, of Judah at the time in, 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 in Israel, they were an agrarian society, right? They, they understood what a staff was. A staff is the implement or the tool of a shepherd, and, and what the staff is used for is to gather the sheep and to corral them so that they, they, they all come together as one unit. And so what's being revealed thousands of years 
and 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 a thousand years before John would ever write the book of Revelation, for example, Isaiah is revealing here that one is coming who we now know and call the Antichrist. That in fact he's he's going to be the judgment of God. It's God's anger that allows him to rise, but it's going to bring judgment on the whole world. That's one component. The second thing is the staff in their hand. He's referencing that group of people in verse one, the cabal, if you will the unrighteous rulers, the global elite, the, the, the globalists, the global reset people. That's who he's referring to. And he, he uses the phraseology, the staff. And, and so he's revealing here that the, what they are going to do, like a shepherd who gathers all the sheep and brings them into a corral, that, that's what he's revealing here, that they will, like a shepherd with a staff who gathers sheep, into a corral will attempt to gather the whole world like sheep under their control. But in essence, it is the indignation of the Lord that's allowing this to happen to the planet because it has rejected the Lord. That's when he reveals here something very profound, and it harkens to what Brother Jeremy read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 when it talks about a falling away. Read verse 6 to us, Brother Jeremy. Brother Marty, before, I will. You, uh, yes, before, you get into that, before you get into that particular verse, <clears throat> I mean, what, what you're reading here answers a lot of questions um, for people who are disillusioned with yes. <laughs> the, way, the way the uh, election went. Yes. Yeah. It, it's amazing because so many Christians, Christians invested almost a year Years, really, years into years, yeah, you know, yeah, years making sure a particular side won, and you know, and what what happens is their hearts are filled with bitterness, hate, anger, you know, towards towards people that voted differently than they did, and and this is mind-boggling to me as a believer, um, and we 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 speak about this all the time. It's like, why did we invest so much emotion? into this election knowing well what the scripture says has to take place and it's exactly what we're reading here it's it's, wow. it's, it's what the assyrian is being used for he's 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 uh he's god's staff of indignation yeah. mm -hmm. right he yeah. it, it is the spirit of the age that is bringing all this about now if we had been teaching this from our pulpit then we wouldn't have so many people, you know, uh, 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 that feel let down, disillusioned with with politics and and so forth and so on, and governors and leaders of states and cities. You know, if they would, if we, if we would have been teaching this, then they would understand. This is all part of God's plan and design. But instead, we took it upon ourselves as though we could bring up a change in the world through politics. Incredible. Mm -hmm. So Couldn't we are getting you. clarity. We're getting clarity yeah. right now of the Holy Spirit as to exactly what's taking place. So we need to take heed to what is being said right now because this is exactly, in a nutshell, what we've been trying to say for the last nine months. <laughs> yeah, this, exactly. is what, yeah. this is what's happening. Yeah, man. And and I think it's uh, sad. I mean, another thing to add and point to is what I'm seeing too is that um, 
here is this Assyrian, this Antichrist, a a obviously not the Messiah, an imposter that will be able to gather the people of Israel. And I think about the words of Jesus when he looked at Jerusalem, and I pray I'm, you know, uh, what he said. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that thou killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. He says, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Mm-hmm. They rejected the shepherd. Yeah. But yet here's an imposter coming that they will heed to. And I think that's very striking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's sad in, in a way, but I think it's connected to what we're talking about, Brother Marty. Here's an imposter coming in his, you know, and, and claiming to be, and they will, and, and, and the people of Israel will cling to him. And Jesus said, man, how many times have I wanted to gather you as children? Yeah. So, uh, and and all of these uh, and all of those are 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 good points that you're making there. And yet, when we pick up this story with the Assyrian, we already see him functioning and getting ready to come to the stage. He makes an appearance after the unrighteous decrees we were talking about, and the example we used of the behind-the-scenes gathering of all the political officials that were identified in Daniel chapter three that we were talking about through Nebuchadnezzar as a as another example so what we have here like like you you both were talking about is that what we are witnessing here is not only uh the the the, it's it's the it's the rise of the assyrian the antichrist and like 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 brother fernando was talking about he is the judgment of god and when and and he and the staff again like we're talking about notice what he says in verse five it's the staff in in their hand so he makes a distinction of from the Assyrian and their hand. Their hand are those who are assisting him. They're called the staff. Okay. So what their function is by the fact that he uses that term, the staff, it's it's the tool of a shepherd. What the shepherd does uh, with a staff is gather the sheep and corral them. We know from other scriptures that's precisely what the global elite will do. They work to set the stage to gather the whole world under the control of of this one called the Assyrian. He is that bold beast, right? He goes forth to make war with the saints. He is the corrective hand. He's allowed to come forward, but together you have the Assyrian and you have the staff in their hand working together. But God throws in, he's my anger and they're my indignation. To be indignant is almost like to be offended. And to say, fine then, you know, go ahead. I'm going to let this happen because you have rejected my extended hand for 2,000 years, planet Earth, <laughs> basically is what right. he's saying. Right. And then so remember what Paul said, though, that the Assyrian yeah. could not make an appearance or the man of sin until there be a falling away first, right? That's what we see next in verse 6. Can you read verse 6, Brother Jeremy? Yes. I will send him against an hypocritical nation and against the people of my wrath. Will I give him a charge to take the spoil and to take the prey and to tread them down like the myrrh 
of the streets. So notice what he says he will come again. It's a hypocritical nation. And and this is the reference to that apostate church and to an unrepentant Israel of our time. The Israel of our time, with the exception of our blessed brothers amongst the Jews who are saved into whose olive tree we've been grafted, it's the other ones. The, 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 uh, <laughs> I hate to use phrases. I'll just say those who reject Messiah, those who are secular, they're a hypocritical nation, but so is the 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 hyper-charismatic Pentecostal church that Brother Fernando was just describing, who has spent the last four years moving the, the, the church in America in a direction toward political power instead of heralding the King of Kings and understanding that this world is not our home. And they have become a hypocritical nation. They have become, all of us are guilty really, but in this sense, we're looking at what the prophet is calling it. It's the falling away. And he says he comes because precisely they have fallen away. They are a hypocritical nation. That's one group that I believe is made up of both a compromised false church and a rejection of the Messiah Israel. They are together the opposite of the true church made up of Jew and Gentile. This is a Jew and Gentile false church, a hypocritical nation. And it allows the rise of the Assyrian or the wicked one. The second people, which is which is uh, another one he, he identifies are the people of his wrath. That That's the whole world. His wrath is coming upon the whole world as a result of the rise of this Assyrian, this Antichrist. And, and then look what he says in verse 6. I will give him a charge. In other words, I'll allow this, that he will take a spoil, he'll take the prey, he'll tread them down like the mire of the streets. In other words, his He's revealing just how foul this leader really is. He views humanity as nothing more than the mire or the dung underneath his feet. He's driven by the devil. He's possessed by the devil. We know this. Now, he is first a global leader. He rises. The stage is being set. But then he transitions and becomes the Antichrist. It is not something he intends to be. He doesn't, he's not even familiar with this, but he is that perfect vessel that will be inhabited. And that's what God reveals here in verse 7. Can you read verse 7 to us, Brother Jeremy? How be it? He meaneth not so, neither does his heart think so. But it is in his heart to destroy and cut off nations, not a few. So what the extraordinary thing that Isaiah is revealing here is that this candidate who is in the wings right now, understand what Paul revealed to us, which we started this Bible study out with today, is that he's going to be revealed. It'll come at a time when a church in the far future that he was speaking of at his time, which we believe is our time, completely falls away from what it was meant to be. It is no longer recognizable as the early church, as the people of the living God. They are now a compromised, worldly, hypocritical nation, if you will, a hypocritical church. And, and he says that, <laughs> that when they occur, it sets the stage for this one to rise. And then the one that rises, he reveals him as 
his human self when he says, how be it, verse 7, he meaneth not so, neither has it entered his heart to think so. So what he's revealing is his human nature. But then there's this transition where he goes on to say, but it is in his heart to destroy and to cut off nations, not a few. What Isaiah was revealing was that there would come a time where he would transition from being someone who doesn't think to do these things to suddenly one who has it in his heart to destroy the whole world. This is that possession, right? What were you saying, brother? That's uh, fascinating. <clears throat> we get insight into, um, you know, I, I think those who study prophecy often wonder, you know, uh, this man of sin, how, how does he transition? How does this man uh, transition into the son of perdition? Right. You know, and we're getting insight here from the prophet Isaiah as to, um, <laughs> you know, his, his, his humanity. You know, he's maybe just a political man um and making his way up through the ranks and you know he's really not seeking the kind of power that is going to be offered to him but we we do see that there is some evil in his heart in that he embraces uh what what the what the devil's offering he's that perfect candidate um yes to become the son of perdition right yeah, amen. And 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 what we're seeing is is the very same thing that we see in the Gospels, right? Uh, because Judas is also a type Judas, of that, right? right? Yep. And, and it says what Satan having put it in his heart. Do you remember that scripture uh, yes. to betray the Lord? Uh, he sought about an opportunity to betray him. I think that's in John uh, chapter twelve. You want to turn over there, brother Jeremy? Yes. John 12. Yeah. I think that's where it is. Well, let's see here. John chapter... Another, another, another thing that's fascinating, too, is in verse, um, verse 3, if there's a question posed, Says, and what will ye do in the day of visitation? There's mm. that day again, right? That yeah. the Apostle Paul spoke in Thessalonians. It's all leading right. up to that day. Um, but mm-hmm. the scripture begins begins to tell the tell us in connection with what Paul wrote in first and in, 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 to the Thessalonians, what must take place leading up to that day. That's right. Yeah. Now in, in John chapter thirteen, this is where we were we're getting to can you read verse 1 and 2, Brother Jeremy? Yeah, 1 and 2. Yes. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world un- unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. So that's where we see the transition from Judas just being Judas, having something implanted in in his heart. That ultimately gives way to full possession, which is what we're reading in Isaiah 10 there, when we see uh, the type even more fulfilled in verse 26, 
Can you read verse 26 to us, Brother Jeremy, of chapter 13? Yes. It says, Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Verse 27. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. That thou doest, do quickly. So we see here, and it's the only other place other than the, when it happens to the Antichrist where we, we are told that Satan actually takes full possession of a human being. That's what happened to Judas. He became that Antichrist. He became that one who would be the catalyst which would bring about uh, the destruction of the Lord on Calvary. Of course, we know the Lord allowed all this to happen. He said, no man takes my life. But what we are seeing is a foreshadow, a type of the ultimate Antichrist. Now, remember, uh, when we are reading here in John chapter 13, verse 26 and 27, what we are being told is that uh, that that Judas is being revealed. He's being revealed to the apostle John. Because they were all asking the question when Jesus said that someone was going to betray him, who is it? Who's going to betray me? Uh, or who, who it is, Lord, that's going to betray you? They didn't know. They, didn't, they had no idea. But, but Simon beckons to John, who's lying on Jesus' breast, it says in verse 25 of chapter 13. And John asks him, who is it? And then Jesus reveals to John who the Antichrist or the son of the devil was of that time, Judas, the one that Satan took possession of. See, the scripture is, is perfectly symmetrical. It's perfectly balanced. It's beautifully symphonic, if you will, because that's what Paul said would happen in Second Thessalonians, that he will be revealed. See, right. Judas, Judas was revealed to, to John, and so it will be an intimate church just like John was mm. resting on his on his Lord's chest, you could hear the heartbeat of Jesus, if you will. It was to him that 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 it was revealed. And so, what we gain from that is a knowledge that those that are that are pursuing Jesus at the same level that John did, in in such an overwhelming love that he had for him, um, that that it's to that church, uh, that kind of a church, they will recognize and know who he is. And that's exactly what we see in the upper room. But my point of all that was to say this, that Satan enters him. And that's the same thing that Isaiah is revealing, is that he's a man, but he becomes something completely different. He changes. He's not, he doesn't mean to be like this, but he changes. He transitions. Now, we know from the book of Revelation how that happens. Would you turn over uh, to Revelation chapter 9, Brother Jeremy? I'm there. So we have something happen here, and, and that's the opening of the bottomless pit. Now, the bottomless pit is open, and someone mysterious, which you rarely hear anything about, comes up out of the bottomless pit. He's loosed by the devil himself, as the devil has been given permission to do so, by the way. In verse 11, he's called uh, something. Can you read that, 9-11? And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue, 
hath his name Apollyon. Yes. Now, check this out. Go over to Revelation chapter 17, because he's further talked about there. And he fulfills what Isaiah says about him. This one from the bottomless pit, this this one called Apollyon, Abaddon. What does he do in verse 8 of chapter 17? The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And in verse 11, speaking of that beast again, that Apollyon. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. Notice the phrase, he goes into perdition. Again, in verse 11, he goes into perdition. Perdition is the name that that is identified uh, as as the antichrist that's what paul called him right the man of sin the son of perdition jesus called judas perdition read that in in john chapter 17 brother what jesus called judas the type of the antichrist yes what uh, uh verse uh, uh verse 12 it says while i was with them in the world I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So this is a title for the Antichrist. This is a title given to the son of the devil. Judas became that, uh, that beginning from the end, the Antichrist, right? He's the type of the Antichrist. He was identified because he was possessed by Satan as the son of perdition or the son of the devil. It's the same that is phraseology that's used to speak of this one that comes up out of the bottomless pit known as Apollyon, Abaddon uh, in the Hebrew, Apollyon in the Greek. He is loosed and allowed to go into perdition. It's a particular person. It's the Antichrist. That is the same thing that we see happening in Isaiah here. Let's go back to Isaiah and, and hurry because <laughs> we're getting a little longer, but... I hope it's 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 fascinating to you out there because this is this isn't Bible 101, but this is very very uh, interesting at least to us. So here we go in verse seven again. Now from all that we just shared, we see the transition as revealed by the prophet. He says he doesn't mean so. That's an interesting component, like Brother Fernando was talking about, of of a revelation of his personality. He he's just a guy. <laughs> And, you know, a high-level guy, right? He, he's on the world stage, but he then transitions, right? Howbeit he meaneth not so, neither does his heart think so. But it is in his heart. Satan having now entered his heart. That's what it says about Judas. The beast goes into perdition. This is the transition. This is where he becomes um, uh, the, the Antichrist, and he goes to dominate the world. What's interesting is he mentions his demonic cohorts here in verse 8. Can you read that in verse 8, Brother Jeremy? For he saith, are not my princes altogether kings? 
that harkens to Revelation 17:12, where the Bible predicts to us there will be 10 kings that assist the Antichrist in dominating the world. And, and, and we'll, we'll talk about that, Lord willing, in the coming days and reveal these things. We, we touched on it earlier in the year, but not at length and not from these particular scriptures that bring us great light. Now, listen, um, now let's look at, at verse 12. Can you read verse 12 as we, we begin to see something really profound? Wherefore, it shall come to pass that when the Lord hath performed his whole work upon Mount Zion, and on Jerusalem, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. So he describes him now. He's transitioned from being someone who doesn't have these kinds of thoughts in his head to suddenly having it in his heart. And now the Lord is describing him as the one who has high looks. He has this proud look. He is the Antichrist now. And now... Now look at what he describes here, because what we are going to see now in verse 13 and 14 is what we are seeing today. They call it the great global reset, and it's how we know from the prophetic scriptures the stage is being set. Read to us verse 13 and 14, would you, Brother Jeremy? For he said, by the strength of my hand I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I am prudent, and I have removed the bounds of the people and have robbed their treasures, and I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. And my hand had found as a nest the riches of the people, and as one gathered eggs that are left, have I gathered all the earth, and there was none that moved the wing or opened the mouth or peeped. Incredible what Isaiah is revealing there by the Spirit of the Lord. Number one, you, you see the great pride that's overtaking him. He's full of the devil, right? How many times is this by my strength, by my hand? By, that sounds like Isaiah 14, right? Or Ezekiel 28 when describing Lucifer yeah. himself. He's showing the characteristics. Also, and, go ahead. No, it just it also sounds too like a, a Nebuchadnezzar in a chapter, yeah. uh, right? It, is it chapter four yeah. or, or um, chapter, yeah. It sounds like him too, right? When he sees by you know his pride, yeah. you know my power. So that's the same language too that you see also referenced in Daniel. Right, and and again and again, this is the same spirit moving through all the dictators of the ancient past, right? This is that antichrist spirit, but what makes it different is that he's going to be allowed to fulfill his satanic destiny. But but God has the prophet saying. Uh, at the beginning, understand, he's my correction. He's my indignation. You ain't doing nothing that I ain't allowing. And ultimately, it's for my purpose to bring judgment upon a world that's rejected me and against a hypocritical nation that has fallen away and made the way, spiritually speaking, and cleared the path because the light has been put out, if you will, in the visible church, so to speak, that should be influencing the world that has cleared the way for this man of sin. Look at what he says. In the middle of verse 13, I have removed the bounds of the people. This is the intent of the global reset. This is what's being told to us right now, right? We don't need no border walls. We don't need no nation state. That's what they're intending to do right now. And it is why we understand that we are nearing these times. One will be given charge over all of it. 
and and we know him as the Assyrian. We know him as the son of perdition. We know him as the man of sin. We know him as the beast from the bottomless pit. Give him whatever name you want. He's a bad dude, man. And listen, what he's intending to do is to remove the bounds of the people. There are no nation states in this global reset. Just as Isaiah revealed. Go ahead, brother. You know, uh, one of the things that has been, uh, you know, contested uh, over the last four years is is the wall, the border that splits the United States and Mexico. And we had the whole situation where the caravans, you know, from Honduras were at the border and people were saying, let them in. And others were like, no, we have to protect our borders. Uh, we can't let them in. And, and people were just looking in the natural, um, you know, uh, uh, at the border, you know. But but it, if we can see in the spirit, America's borders represent more than just keeping people outside. Of the nation. Mm-hmm. What the Bible tells us here that spiritually speaking, America's borders represent what's holding back the spirit of the age from taking over the whole globe. It's true. And, and, and brother, to understand that because you said yeah. it, we're the last bastion of freedom yeah. that's in this globe. Mm-hmm. So it's not about whether we let people from Central America or Mexico. Cause I'm Mexican, Pastor Jeremy, Central American, you know, and, and you're Mexican as well, brother. We understand that, but when we look at it from from the spiritual aspect, as Isaiah is is uh, revealing it to us, we see that it's it's something much bigger that's taking place concerning borders. Is it? Is it connected to to Psalms two, Brother Marty, when and Brother Fernando, when it talks about the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, and it says, "Let us break their bands asunder." Right. Absolutely. That well, Psalm two is connected to this. Absolutely, it is. They are the kings, right? It's the fulfillment, right? It's the fulfillment of it, right, Brother Marty? Of yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And what we're seeing then is, and and that's why we're talking about. Uh, when we're talking about this, and we, our 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 launching pad with Second Thessalonians, we're actually sh- showing how that from the Psalms, even in Moses's writings, you'll easily find these things here throughout the stories of the kings and all that. All that stuff are all enlarging our our perspective uh, on, on what we're actually seeing come to pass in our day. They're they're all pieces of the puzzle when when directed by the spirit and applied and connected suddenly this incredible picture emerges that again furthers along our in our calculation that we have entered this time we're actually able brother fernando that was an excellent point as well you put pointed out there about that honduras caravan i mean how insane is that right i mean because we saw thousands of people streaming to the border right and and what you said was very very profound there and and something to take note of which is if you have eyes to see it wasn't simply a migration we know now looking back on it and from things that have been reported that those caravans were funded by outside right. interests outside the united states with a right. vatican component thrown in right the pope <laughs> oh, the it's, vatican. it's dark it's dark it's dark <laughs> yeah. right and yeah. its intent, again, like you were saying, is is the spirit of Antichrist. 
that we see here in Isaiah, the desire to remove the bounds of the people so that there are no nation states. It's one world, and it's ruled by one dictator uh, facilitated by ten kings, which is what the, the Bible talks about in the book of Revelation. That's for another day. But again, we see these things. It's the removing of the bounds of the people. And the middle of 13 is also, I have robbed their treasures. This is the intent, mm. is it not? Yeah. Whether it's, it whether it's, Af- right? Whether it's the, it's the mineral deposits and gold and diamonds of Africa or the oil of the Middle East or the fertile agricultural farmlands of, of Argentina and Brazil and Mexico, man. Just go throughout the world. I mean, he's looking to rob treasures. And, and, and to have it controlled under a particular ruling elite. That's why when we first started this discussion, we pointed out how the Assyrian himself is the rod. He's the inflictor of pain. And the, their hand that has the staff are the ten kings. They are the ones who gather the world for him. They work together. So, so there, won't, there won't be any private treasure. None. It'll be they will it will be controlled by one. So yeah. the way the way he intends to rule the world is through economics. But he Precisely. has to first break down the borders of, of 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 these states of these nations so that they can become one. This global reset we're talking about is precisely yeah. doing just that. That is the, the intent of, of what's taking place here. You know, and we spoke about it uh, some podcasts ago that how the whole globe, all of the the news media around the globe are speaking the same thing. Yeah. Right. And, right. And, and it makes you wonder how. Well, again, going back to what uh, Isaiah said, that he has given his staff into their hands. They've yeah. been given power to unify these these world leaders by the devil himself to bring about this unification, this global reset. But ultimately, you know, these elite that think they're going to keep uh, the, the poor down, they're going to be controlled too. They will. By the devil, yes. by the devil himself. That's right. And, and look at this, because uh, he removes the bounds of the people, the bottom part of verse 13, Isaiah chapter 10. His intent is to rob their treasures. But what you pointed out here, uh, is is there seems to be a component here of a mild resistance that he puts down because he yeah. boasts about it, right? Right. I have mm-hmm. I have put down the inhabitants. That that tells us that it's not going to happen without resistance, but it, the resistance will be futile. And let's mm-hmm. just put your pause button right there because you were mentioning earlier this whole attempt that you know whether it's depression or anger. What's happened with the MAGA movement, you know, the religious establishment locking arms with the Republican Party and trying to bring about a kingdom now utopia, which is so flawed and fallen away, a hypocritical nation, if you will, talking about the religious right. ruling elite. Um, there, This is a question that we're going to have to ask ourselves in the immediate 72-hour to 100-hour future is what I'm talking about. Because... I saw a meeting yesterday, and I actually got choked up because I really felt for the people. They they met in Georgia yesterday and had a rally. And uh, one of the a very eloquent lawyer, uh, Lynn Wood, I think, got up. He gave an impassioned speech. I was one of the best preachers I've heard in a long time, <laughs> and it actually choked me <laughs> up. Lawyer. You know, 
Yeah, just the just the intensity and the sincerity of his passion, as he was saying, "You cannot take our nation, you will not take our freedom," and he started saying, "You know, this is 1776." Well, those are those are really dangerous words. The 1776 was the American, you know, overthrow of the British rule. I mean, this was a, a band of people that, that, that birthed the nation. And that's what he's hearkening back to those Revolutionary War days. He's literally saying we've come to the point of a civil war. And so we're each individual is going to ask the question in the not too many days ahead. Are we going to, uh, is it, have we come to the point where we fight? You know, and I've really been seeking God over this. And you know what came to my heart the other day in prayer? was I thought about uh, the uh, Shiloh. I thought about Eli and his son and how they went out to, to, to fight the Philistines and they had an initial defeat of 4,000 soldiers. And so rather than taking the time to pause and say, what is up with this? They doubled down and sent for the Ark of the Covenant and brought it into the camp, and then they got all pumped up and said, "Ah, oh, we're gonna take them on now, right?" And and all that happened was the Philistines said, "Man, the, the shout of a king is among them." It just reminded me of the evangelical community today, and it ended up in the absolute destruction of the nation and the capturing of the ark and Ichabod being written over them. Right, the glory has departed. So I so think you're that, saying that you're saying that today's preachers. Uh, and many Christians are trying to fight against the spirit of the age, but have no anointing to do it. Absolutely, the, 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 the presence of God is not with them. Yes, right, because that's what that's what Israel did back in the day. Right? Like, like you were talking about in Shiloh, you know, they went, yeah. they got all religious, they went to go get the Ark of the Covenant, thinking that that was going to bring them a victory without asking God for permission or his will to even do it. They just assumed. Right? They just mm -hmm. assumed because we we have the Ark of the Covenant in God's presence here that we're just going to win and we don't have to the, – the arrogance of that. Yes. Right? No repentance. No repentance. And, and look, at the, look at the spiritual leadership of that day. <laughs> yeah. It's the same today. We have Levi's who are who, who whose eyes were were you know he was losing his yeah. eyesight, you know, yeah. and then we have his sons that were running crazy. Doesn't that sound yeah. like the modern day church today, where where the preachers that used to preach the gospel are getting old and 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 fat and, and filthy lucre, and then they're giving yeah. birth to sons who don't know the presence of God? Yes, precisely, brother. Same thing. Same thing. That's good. And and let's let's. Not, I just want to say this because it weighs heavy on my heart. I I actually I I cried yesterday when I saw the people because it's almost as if we woke up and realized how precious the gift of the United States is. Right. And and I I, I wept because I know they want to turn it around. And they're realizing to their own horror that we are just moments away from never being what we once were ever again. My Lord. And what brought me to tears 
was I got children, I got grandchildren, I got people I love. And and yes, this is a precious nation, but what have we been doing the last 50 years to fight for it? How did it come to this? And that's what you're talking about, Brother Fernand. And so in my my own reflections of, of, of the Father God that we serve, I know he's a God of mercy. I know he's a God of grace. He's eager to forgive. But the question is, in the light of prophetic scriptures, and this is something we're all going to have to answer for ourselves, is right. it a time to fight or is it a time actually that we finally have crossed over into this point where what is coming will come? And if we fight against it or try to resist it, will we endanger ourselves and actually be fighting against what is the prophetic will of God to take place? These are very serious questions to ask. And you're going to have to decide that for yourself as I am for my own self. I think it's right to protect our families, of course, that goes without saying. I think that it's right to to support those who are attempting to bring truth to light. But short of all of us, starting with me, uh, being absolutely ripped apart in my own heart and, and, and be brought down on my face to the dust in utter repentance for the sins of my fathers, for my own sins and the sins of the nation. And and we have that kind of repentance. Other than that, I don't see it. And I think that it's a futile battle because I think that what has come has come as a result of the falling away that, that the apostle has spoken about. Now, I'm not saying God can't turn this around. If If everyone out there begins to turn towards him and begins to actually seek him, at a level that 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 is prescribed in the word he he lays it out in second chronicles 14 and 15 right chapter 7 and tells us what we're supposed to be like but the question is are we going to do that time is running out literally we're not talking about years from now we're talking about days now it's not months even it's days you know, December 14th here in the United States is going to be an incredibly important day because that's the day when we're supposed to seat the Electoral College and the transition of power is supposed to take place. But they're fighting in the courts. They're fighting in the streets. We're going to yeah. see what's going to happen. So, But we, as the people of God, we're exploring the prophetic scriptures here and seeing what Isaiah reveals. And so I find myself and I know you do too, brothers. I mean, as 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 people that have you know stuck our head above the <laughs> you know out of the sand and have tried to like throw our hat in the ring and, and put our two cents in what we see is going on, we're trying to contribute to this. We take a very serious tone when it comes to decision making and what is right and what is proper to do. And so it is a very trying time, a very dangerous time. There are state actors around the world that are intending to bring the nation down. There are those that are foolish, like you mentioned, Brother uh, Fernando, uh, that think that they're going to ride the coattails of this of this Benedict Arnold treason that they've you know imposed upon the nation, thinking that they'll keep themselves, their families, and their legacies secured in the in the far flung future. But the dragon shares power with no one. 
They're simply a means mm-hmm. to an end. And they are blinded by their greed and, and the perversion and the distortions of their own thoughts and minds and imaginations of their heart. They, too, are coming down. Mm-hmm. But they're just simply a tool. So the question is right now, if we take up arms, if we resist, I mean, what are we supposed to do? Is that what we're supposed to do? Are you kidding? No, I don't feel that in my heart, but I weep for my brothers and sisters precisely because I think that we've all quite possibly now, and I don't want to discourage anybody because what we're pointing to is the coming of the Lord. That's really what this is leading to. And so God, by his prophets and his holy apostles and holy prophets and the Lord himself, told that far-flung future generation, which we believe is ours, these are the conditions. This is what's going to happen. It's going to happen because of this. And then it will, it will accelerate and ultimately lead to the, to the conclusion of human history as we've known it and the return of the Lord. So this is what we see. These are questions to be answered. And, and again, let's hurry here. He, he says, I've robbed their treasures. And it talks about this. I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. So this indicates there will be those who try to rise up and resist this, but it's futile. He puts it down quickly. Verse 14, he goes on to say, my hand has found as a nest the riches of the people. That's, the, again, economics, right? Greed. Uh, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. And and listen to what he says here. And as one, verse 14, as one gathers eggs that are left, I have gathered the whole earth. And listen, and there was none that moved the wings or opened the mouth or peeped. This is incredible. There is no, there's no resistance. Oh my God. It's a, and, and, and listen to what he said, I gathered the eggs. What is an egg but the promise of something to be born, right? He takes collection of everything so that nothing can happen. Nothing can, like what he says there, nothing can peep. No mouth can be opened, no wing moved. There is no protection. There is no more dreams, no more hopes, no more future for a fallen world that is now absolutely, completely, and totally controlled by this one. But then God steps in. Read verse 15, Brother Jeremy. Shall the axe boast itself against him that hoeth therewith, therewith, or shall the saw magnify itself against him that shaketh it, as if the rod should shake it itself against them that lift it up? Or as if the staff should lift up itself as if it were no wood. So once he reaches his apex, which is but a short time, that's what the Bible teaches us throughout the rest of the scripture. It's only going to be for a short time. God steps in at this, because well, as Paul go on later, we'll, we'll examine this Lord willing in the coming days, how he acts, right? He, he exalts himself. He opposes uh, all that is, uh, worshipped or all that is called God, so that he himself, as God, sits in the temple of God, proclaiming that he's God. When he reaches this level of megalomania, this 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 <laughs> this unchecked ego that's driven by him becoming fully possessed, God steps in and says, "Whoa, wait a minute here! You're just an axe. You're just a saw. You're just a rod. You're absolutely controlled by me. How dare you boast?" 
right? That's what he says. Shall the axe boast itself against him that's using it? Shall the saw magnify himself against him that's shaking? He's talking to the devil here. That's what that's what's happening. So he 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 decrees to him, and then he begins to proclaim the return of the Lord. Read that to his brother Jeremy in verse sixteen and seventeen. Therefore shall the Lord, the Lord of hosts, send among his fat ones leanness, and under his glory he shall kindle a burning like the burning of a fire, and the light of Israel shall be for a fire and his holy one for a flame. And it shall burn and devour his thorns and his briars in one day. In one day. That's what you were talking about earlier, brother. Fernando, right? It's the day of the Lord. That's right. It's the one day. That's what we spoke about. He, that That's why, not to harp on these pre-tribulation rapture theorists, but this blows you out of the water. This is when the Lord comes, and it's a one-day event. He, in verse 16, he says, once he reaches this place, the Lord begins to rebuke him. Enough's enough. And he says, now I'm going to send the light of Israel. And notice the language he uses for a flame, right? Paul used the same language, whom the Lord will consume with the brightness of his coming, right? He'll, he'll take vengeance from heaven as he comes with his holy angels in, 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 a, in a flame of fire. Peter called it the melting of the elements with fervent heat. This is what we're seeing. The Lord is coming to the rescue. When this is all said and done, look at how he describes it in verse 18 through 20. Can you read that to us, Brother Jeremy? And shall consume the glory of his forest and of his fruitful field, both soul and body, and they shall be as when a standard bearer fainted. And the rest of the trees of his forest shall be few, that a child may write them. And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel, in such as are escaped of the house of Jacob, shall no more again stay upon him that smote them, but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. So let's take a look at this real quick. Verse 18, and we're hurrying today. Verse 18, uh, when the Lord returns, this is what will happen. He will consume the glory of his forest. Those are symbolic terms uh, for the nation. Trees are always likened to the nations of the world. This, this judgment is so comprehensive. Notice how he describes it, verse 18, the glory of his forest and of his fruitful field, both soul and body. He's talking about the inhabitants of the world. They shall be as when a standard bearer fainted. This is Revelation chapter 19. When the Lord returns, they will attempt to fight against him. That, that's what it says. Read that to us real quick, Brother Jeremy. Revelation chapter 19, verse uh, 19, I think. Let's see. Yeah, verse 19. Right. Is that what he says? They war against him? Yeah. It says, and, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And what's going to happen, verse 20? And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, 
with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse and the sword that proceeds out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. That's where the carcass is devoured by the eagles, by the by the vultures. But notice here, the Antichrist and the kings of the earth, they will turn to fight against the Lord himself. That's insanity. <laughs> I mean, that's just incredible. And, and in the days ahead, there's some very fascinating places we can go to in the scripture to really enlarge this battle and see what's going on there. But for today's purposes, what we're pointing out here is what Isaiah is saying when he talks about verse 18, chapter 10, verse 18 of Isaiah, that the Lord himself will consume the glory of his forest, that is the nations of the world, the fruitful field, body and soul. So he's talking about the inhabitants of the world. They shall be as when a standard bearer fainted. The standard bearer was the one who led the army into battle. It's where the troops would rally around. Isaiah is hearkening to this battle we just read about in Revelation. When the Lord returns, their standard bearer will fail. They won't be able to rally. They'll try. And so comprehensive will be the fire that issues forth from the Lord Jesus Christ that the rest of the trees of his forest, that is the Lord's earth, the, the rest of the nations will be but few so that a child could write them. Only a few will be spared in this, the nations of the world. Ultimately, it's at that time that it says that Israel will be saved. They will no longer, like Brother Jeremy was talking about how they will be deceived by this one, a third will be brought to the fire. We know that from the prophet Zechariah. And they will now know the Holy One of Israel. So let's close with this. Read to us, Brother Jeremy, would you? Uh, verse 24. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, O my people that dwellest in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian. He shall smite thee with a rod and shall lift up his staff against thee after the manner of Egypt. First and foremost, he's telling his people alive at this time, his church, don't be afraid of him. You're going to come up under this intensity. The whole world's going to be swept under it. Remember when John talked to us in Revelation 13:10 when he talked about the faith and the patience of the saints. That's what Isaiah is saying here by the Spirit of the Lord. Don't be afraid of him. This has got to happen. It's going to happen. But you are my people. And he says he's going to uh, he's going to come against you. Remember he goes forth to make war against the saints and to overcome them. He'll lift up his staff against you. After the manner of Egypt, he's going to try and control you like Pharaoh controlled the, the children of Israel of old. But he, but he then limits his time. It's only going to be brief. Listen to what he says in verse 25. Can you read that? Verse 25. For yet a, for yet a very little while, and the indignation shall cease, and my anger in their destruction. His anger is not directed towards his church. His anger is directed toward the rest of the world. But the church is in the world, right? And we know from other scriptures he's going to make the church the exclusive uh, token of the manifest judgment, the righteousness of, of his righteous judgment. He comes precisely to, to save us. 
But, and, and as a result of that, which we were just reading, when the Lord comes, he's going to consume them. And so he's letting his people know, understand, you're headed into these troubled waters, but it's only a little while. He doesn't just say a little while in verse 25. He says a very little while. Jesus calls it the hour of trial. It's not going to be long, but it's going to be intense. But he's promising what he's going to do and tells us, do not be afraid, because what I'm going to do is this, verse 26. Can you read that? And the Lord of hosts shall stir up a scourge for him according to the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb. And as his rod was upon the sea, so shall he lift it up after the manner of Egypt. This is a very, very awesome thing that Isaiah saying. And really it's a clue. Again, I believe that the Lord is coming and may come somewhere around a Passover season. On and on and on, over and over and over again, he draws our attention to the deliverance that took place of his uh, of his nation, the nation of Israel, out of Egypt. And so what he's saying here is your deliverance, this is the rapture really, is going to be in this way, the way that I destroyed Midian, which is talking about Gideon, right? And then he says this, I'm going to lift up my rod like I did after the manner of Egypt. What happened? The children of Israel came to the Red Sea. Pharaoh was closing in upon them. There seemed that this was it. There's no deliverance left. And he says, but wait a minute. I'm going to lift up my rod like I did back then. I'm going to part that sea. Hallelujah. <laughs> And you're going to go over, and I'm going to destroy him like I destroyed Pharaoh. That's the rapture of the church right there. That's the rescue of the church. And then 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 close with verse 27, Brother Jeremy, because it's powerful what he says. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. <laughs> Glory to God. The anointing wow. is Jesus Christ, man. That's who's going to destroy him. Notice what again, he says, it'll come to pass what? In that day. It's the day of the Lord, the day of Christ. That's what Paul's talking about, right? He's coming and he's going to uh, destroy him and take away that brief period of time that we're headed into. And, 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 and he's going to destroy him because of the brightness of his coming, because of the anointing. He is the anointed king, right? And then Isaiah, yeah. it's like Isaiah gets, we won't go into all of this, but, but Isaiah gets so caught up in what he's saying that he then, he, he goes right into chapter 11 and read that to us, Brother Jeremy. And we'll close with this 11, verse 1 through 4. Tell me who this Lord of hosts is. Who is he talking and about? There and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his root, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge. 
after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Amen. Whom the Lord will destroy with the spirit of his mouth. That's what Paul said. So that's what Paul was getting all that information. <laughs> Isaiah got so caught up in the in in the in in the spirit of the Lord that he revealed the coming of the Lord, the branch out of out of uh, out of the house of Judah, out of the stem of of Jesse. He's talking about Jesus Christ here. Now we have the benefit of looking back and knowing it's Jesus, right? But he goes on in context of what we've been talking about in dealing with this Assyrian when he talks about he's going to slay him with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked, that wicked one, and all his hordes will be brought down. So we don't have to fear. That's what he said. Don't be afraid, but know what's ahead of us and know what we're witnessing right now in these times. Understand these are global times. These are planet-wide times. It's not a it's not a geographical territory here or there or, or, or a token or a sign that we can say, oh, that kind of looks like. No, no, no. This is happening right now, right in front of us, for he that has eyes to see. And because of that, like Jesus said, when you begin to see these things, look up for your redemption is drawing near. That's all we got for today. We pray you join us for tomorrow as we continue to go forward looking at these things. Be encouraged, church. This world is not our home. We serve a king and a kingdom that is soon to appear. God bless you, and we'll see you next time. Brother Jeremy, Brother Fernando, anything else? Amen. Well, <laughs> we hope you join us tomorrow as we continue to study. Uh, what a study we've had today in, in getting an insight in the personality and the person of this Antichrist and how the Bible, uh, through the prophet Isaiah and through the writings of Paul and others, we see and we get an insight of this man. We pray God bless you. We pray God keep you. And as always, keep looking up.